0: Chapter Twelve of Anna Karenina, Book Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole. Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Constance Garnett. Book Three, Chapter Twelve. The load was tied on ivan jumped down and took the quiet sleek horse by the bridle the young wife flung the rake up on the load and with a bold step swinging her arms she went to join the women who were forming a ring for the haymakers dance ivan drove off to the road and fell into line with the other loaded carts the peasant women with their rakes on their shoulders gay with bright flowers and chattering with ringing merry tones walked behind the hay-cart. One wild, untrained female voice broke into a song, and sang it alone through a verse, and then the same verse was taken up and repeated by half a hundred strong, healthy voices, of all sorts, coarse and fine, singing in unison. The women, all singing, began to come close to Levin, and he felt as though a storm was swooping down upon him, with the thunder of merriment. The storm swooped down, enveloped him, and the haycock on which he was lying, and the other haycock, and the wagon-loads, and the whole meadow and distant fields, all seemed to be shaking and singing to the measures of this wild merry song, with its shouts and whistles and clapping. Levin felt envious of this health and mirthfulness. He longed to take part in the expression of this joy of life. But he could do nothing and had to lie and look on and listen. When the peasants with their singing had vanished out of sight and hearing, a weary feeling of despondency at his own isolation, his physical inactivity, his alienation from this world came over Levin. Some of the very peasants who had been most active in wrangling with him over the hay, some whom he had treated with contumely and who had tried to cheat him, those very peasants had greeted him good-humouredly, and evidently had not, were incapable of having any feeling of rancour against him, any regret, any recollection even of having tried to deceive him. All that was drowned in a sea of merry common labour. God gave the day, God gave the strength, and the day and the strength were consecrated to labour, and that labour was its own reward. For whom the labour? what would be its fruits? These were idle considerations beside the point. Often Levin had admired this life, often he had a sense of envy of the men who led this life, but today for the first time, especially under the influence of what he had seen in the attitude of Ivan Parmenov to his young wife, the idea presented itself definitely to his mind that it was in his power to exchange the dreary, artificial, idle, individualistic life he was leading for this laborious, pure, and socially delightful life. The old man who had been sitting beside him had long ago gone home, the people had all separated. Those who lived near had gone home, while those who came from far were gathered into a group for supper, and to spend the night in the meadow. Levin, unobserved by the peasants, lay still on the haycock, and still looked on and listened and mused. The peasants who remained for the night in the meadow scarcely slept all the short summer night. At first there was the sound of merry talk and laughing altogether over the supper, then singing again and laughter. All the long day of toil had left no trace in them but lightness of heart before the early dawn all was hushed. Nothing was to be heard but the night sounds of the frogs that never ceased in the marsh, and the horses snorting in the mist that rose over the meadow before the morning. Rousing himself, Levin got up from the haycock, and looking at the stars he saw that the night was over. "'Well, what am I going to do? How am I to set about it?' he said to himself trying to express to himself all the thoughts and feelings he had passed through in that brief night. All the thoughts and feelings he had passed through fell into three separate trains of thought. One was the renunciation of his old life, of his utterly useless education. This renunciation gave him satisfaction and was easy and simple. Another series of thoughts and mental images related to the life he longed to live now the simplicity the purity the sanity of this life he felt clearly and he was convinced that he would find in it the content the peace and the dignity of the lack of which he was so miserably conscious but a third series of ideas turned upon the question how to effect this transition from the old life to the new and there nothing took clear shape for him have a wife, have work and the necessity of work, leave Pokrovsko, by land, become a member of a peasant community, marry a peasant girl. How am I to set about it? He asked himself again, and could not find an answer. I haven't slept all night, though, and I can't think it out clearly, he said to himself. I'll work it out later. One thing's certain, this night has decided my fate. All my old dreams of home life were absurd, not the real thing, he told himself. It's all ever so much simpler and better. How beautiful, he thought, looking at the strange, as it were, mother-of-pearl shell of white fleecy cloudlets resting right over his head in the middle of the sky! How exquisite it all is in this exquisite night! And when was there time for that cloud-shell to form? just now i looked at the sky and there was nothing in it only two white streaks yes and so imperceptibly too my views of life changed he went out to the meadow and walked along the high road towards the village a slight wind arose and the sky looked grey and sullen the gloomy movement had come that usually precedes the dawn the full triumph of light over darkness Shrinking from the cold, Levin walked rapidly, looking at the ground. What's that, someone coming, he thought, catching the tinkle of bells and lifting his head. Forty paces from him, a carriage with four horses harnessed abreast, was driving towards him along the grassy road on which he was walking. The shaft-horses were tilted against the shafts by the ruts, but the dexterous driver sitting on the box held the shaft over the ruts, so that the wheels ran on the smooth part of the road. This was all Levin noticed, and without wondering who it could be, he gazed absently at the coach. In the coach was an old lady dozing in one corner, and at the window, evidently only just awake, sat a young girl holding in both hands the ribbons of a white cap, with a face full of light and thought full of a subtle complex inner life that was remote from Levin, she was gazing beyond him at the glow of the sunrise. At the very instant when this apparition was vanishing, the truthful eyes glanced at him. She recognized him, and her face lighted up with wondering delight. He could not be mistaken. There were no other eyes like those in the world. There was only one creature in the world that could concentrate for him all the brightness and meaning of life. It was she. It was Kitty. He understood that she was driving to a gushova from the railway station, and everything that had been stirring Levin during that sleepless night, all the resolutions he had made, all vanished at once. He recalled with horror his dreams of marrying a present girl. There only, in the carriage that had crossed over to the other side of the road, and was rapidly disappearing, there only could he find the solution of the riddle of his life, which had weighed so agonizingly upon him of late. She did not look out again. The sound of the carriage springs was no longer audible, the bells could scarcely be heard, the barking of dogs showed the carriage had reached the village, and all that was left was the empty fields all round the village in front and he himself isolated and apart from it all wandering lonely along the deserted high road he glanced at the sky expecting to find there the cloud shell he had been admiring and taking as the symbol of the ideas and feeling of that night there was nothing in the sky in the least like a shell there in the remote heights above a mysterious change had been accomplished. There was no trace of shell, and there were stretched over fully half the sky an even cover of tiny and ever-tinier cloudlets. The sky had grown blue and bright, and with the same softness, but with the same remoteness, it met his questioning gaze. No, he said to himself, However good that life of simplicity and toil may be, I cannot go back to it. I love her. End of chapter twelve read by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts.